Well, good morning. And those of you joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're joining us this morning. Uh, we've been going through how to make good choices. And uh, raise your hand if you ever made a bad choice in your life. <laughs> Could narrow that down to the last week. <laughs> Probably the hands wouldn't change very much. But, you know, we all want to make good choices. And uh, this whole series has been about what are some parameters that we can use or guidelines that we can use to help us make better choices. Um, and so uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll follow them, but if we do, we're much more likely to make good choices. So I kind of want to review where we have been the last number of weeks. Uh, we talked a little bit about the, a, couple, a number of weeks ago about uh, passing uh, the uh, Bible test. Uh, is it scriptural? Um, what does the Bible say about it? Because the Bible has, has a lot to say about a lot of things. It talks about how to uh, find purpose and meaning in life, who you should marry in life, who you should date, who you shouldn't date. Um, what should you do with your money? What should you do with your career? What, you know, all those different questions. As a parent, how should my, I raise my children? Um, should I have children? You know, all those different questions. Uh, scripture has a lot, it weighs in a lot on, on a lot of those topics, right? So we want to look at that. Uh, but when we look at the scripture, we have to ask the question of, I know what the scripture says, but do I care? Do I care, right? That's, we ought to ask ourselves because sometimes, um, and I know it's not you, but there are some people who know what God wants from the word, it's very clear, but they don't really think that they need to follow that advice, right? And then they pay the price. Um, or here's the second test, the wisdom test. Now, the wisdom test is a little different because you can do something that's not wrong, but it also can be not wise at the same time. It's not wrong, but it's not wise. And sometimes we've done that where we've made a choice and it wasn't really wrong, but it wasn't really wise, right? Um, Sometimes a good choice is, is not a good choice because it's not a wise choice. Um, and then Mark talked a couple of weeks ago about the legacy test. Like, uh, it's not a matter of if, you are, we all are leaving a legacy. Every one of us is, you know, uh, when I was a, a kid growing up, uh, we used to rent a cottage at a lake. And uh, when we got on a boat, you, you know, the boat always left a wake, right? So you always knew there was a boat. Or if you look in the, in the sky at night or during the day, you see the, the trails of the, of the jets, right? There's a legacy. There's a trail. You're leaving a trail. You're leaving a legacy. You're leaving a wake. Um, it's not a matter of if. It's you are. And so the question is, what wake, what trail are you leaving? What legacy are you leaving? And here, here's the thing. We have friends in New York that um, they were both raised in kind of uh, – homes that weren't the best and there was alcoholism in at least one of the homes and uh, now they have uh, raised their kids in a home that has been changed forever and so their kids grew up in a home that doesn't know anything about that they changed the legacy of how they were raised and they created a new legacy right so the legacy that they were raised in they changed that and now their kids are laying new legacies. And they're, see, so here's the good news, because you may be here, you may be watching, you may be joining us, where you say, but, but I made a mess of my life. I've done a lot of funerals in my life. 
And I'll tell you, I've done some funerals where uh, you'll hear about a point in a person's life where something changed. Maybe it's they came to Jesus and their, their life turned around and they became a different person. And you know what people focus on? They talk about the legacy they had after Christ and how they were a different person. So my question to you is, what's the legacy that somebody's going to talk about at your funeral one day? How are you going to be remembered? You know, because it always happens. We do that all the time. How do you want to be remembered? You're leaving a legacy. Decide what you want to do. So that's one of the tests. How is this going to affect my legacy? Unfortunately, especially within the Christian church, uh, there's a lot of pastors and other leaders that are kind of just, they're going down. Uh, And it's a sad thing. Here's another one. Does it pass the prayer test? Sometimes you're going to decide to do something. And have you ever had this happen where you're ready to take a job or do something? And a Christian friend is going to mess it all up for you. And they go, did you pray about it? Well, no, I didn't. (laughs) Uh, Did you pray about it, right? Did you pray about it? Um, uh, We should always say, what does God think? What does God think? Um, And then some people say, well, I have a peace. I have a peace. God has given me a peace. And I think God can give you a peace about making a decision. But I've had people walk into my office and they tell me they want to do something usually marrying somebody who's not a believer or something like that. That's the common one. And they say, but God has given me a peace about this. And I kind of want to say, well, I have said it. (laughs) I don't know where you're getting that peace from, but it ain't coming from God. That's not God. Because God's peace will never violate God's word. When God says something to you, and it's pretty clear, he's not going to say, but I'll make an exception for you. You go ahead and do whatever you want. No, it doesn't work that way. And so you say, uh, is, do you have God's peace? And is it, have you prayed about it? Um, so today what we want to do is we want to talk about how will your decision uh, affect the people around you? How will your decision affect the people around you? Now, that's a little different than legacy, as we'll see in a minute. Now, we live in a culture that, you know, a couple of phrases we used to use was uh, be true to yourself or you do you, right? And that's kind of common. You do you. And, and everybody's like, yeah, man, you do you. That's be true to yourself. And, you know, I read about it on Facebook and I'm doing me. And, you know, I'm, you know I know there's a lot of ba- people out there that are telling me not to, I'm going to do me. And I get all that. But essentially, aren't you saying I'm going to be a selfish pig? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Really, isn't that what we're saying? I want to be a selfish pig and, you know, salute me, you know. And um, I want to ask you a question, though. Have you, when you're making a decision, have you taken into account how that's going to affect the people around you? Some of you were raised in homes where your parents made a decision and they didn't ask you. The next thing you knew, you were living with one of them this weekend and one of them that weekend. And your decisions affect 
the people around you. And some of you were raised in a home where decisions were made and they were poor decisions. And they still affect you today. Some of you to the point that you say, when I have a family, I never am going to do that. I am going to whatever it is. Because of decisions, your decisions don't just affect you. They affect others. So in our passage today, Jesus is going to give us some, a really important principle uh, on this whole thing of how do, we, how do we make decisions and think about the other people in, that may, may not even be in the room but are in our lives, okay? So uh, look over uh, John chapter 13, verse 34. For, for many of you, this passage will be very familiar. For some of you, it's not, but you've heard something similar, Right? Uh, and I just want to say that if you're here today and you don't know where to, where to find the Gospel of John in the Bible, you're in good company because there's other people that don't either. And that's okay because we'll read it to you or you can use the Bible in front of you or whatever. Because, you know, when I was a, a, a new believer, um, I would pull the Bible out and I would like, you know, fake like, yeah, I'm just looking up other verses too and I couldn't find my way around. And so, you know, you got to learn sometime, right? And that's okay. You're in a good place because the person sitting next to you doesn't have a PhD in biblical studies. I guarantee you that. Um, so you're in a good place. This is a place where we all learn together. And, and, and so you should be able to have found it. There's an index in the front if you can't find it. But let me read it to you and just listen to this, uh, the words of Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, some of you have heard that and said, oh, I've heard that before. That, that, that's, you know, that's one of the, eh, wait a minute, wasn't there a passage where Jesus kind of summarized the law and the prophets and basically said, if you love God, yeah, he did. And, and here it is. Uh, you can keep your finger there. You can turn to the Gospel of Mark or you can just listen again. Mark chapter 12. This is where you're probably what you're thinking about. One of the teachers of the law came and heard uh, them debating, noticing that Jesus had given a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Okay, because there's a lot of commands, 700 plus in the Old Testament. And that's all there was, by the way. There wasn't the New Testament in Jesus' day. And so he's there's 700, and Jesus says, you can boil it all down to two, okay? And he says, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that's coming from a very famous Old Testament passage. Um, it's coming from um, Exodus, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 has a passage that uh, any Jewish person uh, who follows the scriptures, which many of them do, uh, it, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And uh, it's called the Shema. That passage is called the Shema. And, and they memorize that passage. Jewish people memorize that passage. It's a very sacred passage of Scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And it's called the Shema. The Shema is the first Hebrew word. Shema, Shema. It means hear, hear. 
And so Jesus is quoting from the Shema, from Deuteronomy 6. Um, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And then love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's in the Old Testament. That's in the Old Testament. And then he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no command greater than these. All right. So Jesus said all the law and the prophets, law and prophets means from the beginning to the end. All of that can be summarized in these two commands, love God and love others. Okay, we know that, right? We've heard this before. And Jesus, but Jesus says, Jesus says, this is a new command that I give to you. It doesn't sound new. It sounds like the old command. And over and over, Jesus tells us to love one another, right? Um, so what's so new about this old command, right? Because he says it's new. So I was wrestling with this question a number of years ago. And, you know, as I came through it, I wanted to say, well, what is, what is new about it? Well, he puts a little phrase in there. So, the, so what is the phrase? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, right? And then love your neighbor, what? As yourself, right? That's, that's the command we know. Well, what does Jesus say? No, he doesn't say that. He says, love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's different. So he says, don't love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as I love you. That's different. That's new. That's the point that Jesus is making. You see the difference? It's very significant. Because Jesus is saying, I want your love to go to a different level. I want it to go to a, on a different, in a different atmosphere. I want your love to, for other people to be different. I don't want you just to love like you've been told love. I want you to love in a new plane, how I love you. So you see, that's new, that's different. Now let's contrast that with the way that we're told that we should, should kind of love in our world today. So how, how should we love today? Well, we should love people who are lovely. Like, love nice people, right? <laughs> when people are nice to us, be nice to them. When people are good to us, be good to them. Be, be nice, you know? And, and when people are nice, be nice. And when they say good morning, say good morning. And when they smile, you smile. And we can do that. That's easy, right? And they say, Love people who deserve to be loved. And if they deserve to be loved, love them and, and be nice to them. And they deserve it. So I'm willing to do it. And this doesn't put me out very much. We can love people who can help us out, right? You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. I'll love you. I'll serve you. But you can do something for me, right? Love people if it doesn't cost too much. If it doesn't take too much of my time, it's not going to cost a lot of money. If, if it's just a little favor, it's okay. I'm okay doing it. If you're a nice person, yeah. So that's kind of what the world says. But then Jesus, he goes and messes things all up, right? I mean, come on. He says, okay, I want you to love people who can't and won't 
love you back. It's like, it's, your love is going to be like dropping diamonds down a mine shaft. You'll never fill it up. And no one will tell you thank you. Jesus says that. Jesus says, I want you to love people who don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. We hey, listen, I don't mind loving people who deserve it. But what about those people that don't? What about those people that, yeah, I don't really think you deserve it. And then Jesus goes even further and he says, I want you to love people who are prickly, who are frustrating, who are proud, and people who are difficult, and even people who vote the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Now Jesus has stopped giving us advice and he's starting to meddle with our lives, right? That's the people I want you to love. The people that, that don't like you, that are mean to you, that, 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 that say and do awful things to you. We might even say Jesus said we're supposed to love our enemies. Wait a minute. The world says no, 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 no. But how are we to love them? We're not just to love them. We're to love them as he loves us. Sheesh. I'm tired and I'm just preaching this. We're to love others as we are loved by him. And I didn't say this in the first service, but let me say it now. If you're having trouble loving people, not just people who are nice and kind and decent, but the people who are abusive, the people who are hurtful, the people that are mean, the people who are prickly, your enemies, if you're having trouble with that, you haven't grasped his love for you. And you got to get on your knees before him and understand how much you are loved by him. Because until you grasp that love, it's going to be very difficult to, to love others. So this is the new standard that Jesus talks about. And, and it's interesting because one of the most powerful signs of the early church was, and Jesus even said it, he says, you will show people you're my disciples by how you, what? Believe in the right theology. Go to the right church. Fill in the blank. Now he says, by how you love one another. And, and frankly, that's how the early church character was characterized. The, the early church was, their doctrine was kind of like all over the place, kind of like it is today. Um, and, and so, but the, the one thing they got right was they loved one another. They loved one another. They loved one another. Um, this is the kind of love that was characterized by the early church. First uh, John chapter 2 verse 9 says this. John, John places this almost as, um, if you want to know you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then this should be true. And if this is not true, you're probably not a follower of Jesus Christ. That's kind of how John writes his uh, epistle, 1 John. So there's three of these epistles right by the book of Revelation. And 1 John 2, 9 says this, anyone who claims to be in the light, that means being a follower of Jesus, because Jesus is what? The light of the world, Right. Uh, anyone who cl claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. 
Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them that makes them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. And so one of the most powerful signs of a follower of Jesus Christ is that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you love your enemies. As Jesus Christ loves you. That's big. So how, how, how do we break that down practically? Well, you know that passage we read at a lot of weddings, 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes, love is this and love is that. Well, he kind of puts, he puts legs on what that means. Look at what he says. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. He says, love is patient. How's that worked out this week? When you're driving or waiting in line at Chick-fil-A and they say, how long is it going to take them to get this order right? What did they order anyway? Right? Patience. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, let me, let's just jump back. Uh, let's talk about dishonoring others. I think this has become almost like an accepted practice online with Christians that you can dishonor somebody as long as they're part of the wrong party or as wrong, long as you've heard them teach something that you think is probably wrong, even though you don't know what they're teaching, but you know enough that you can make your opinion known, uh, that we could throw people under the bus, we could say horrible things about people because we just want truth. But we dishonor people. None of us keeps records of wrongs around here, right? at work or you know at home uh there's a list of five things that that i just don't like about this person and i review that list because uh it's my top five there's really more than five but it's my top five sometimes i rotate one or two off but essentially i've got these record of wrongs that i like to hold on to love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes. Let me ask you a question. For that person that said or did something that harmed you, what, are you, what is your hope for them? You say, I like that verse where it says, don't you be the judge, God will one day smite them. <laughs> it doesn't say that, but it's basically let God be the judge. And, and again, I, I know some of you have probably been hurt deeply, but can, have you come to a place where you hope that that person will come to know Christ and to know his forgiveness and to know life? Have you come to that place where you conceivably you pray for them that's what we're talking about 
that's, that, that's, that's, that's big time when you get to, to that kind of love. It perseveres. That means you were, you're always holding on, you hope. You're always holding off to hope. You're always hoping, you're always praying for better things for people who don't deserve it, who are mean to you, who are awful, who are dishonest and despicable, who are your enemies, and they, you don't like them and they don't like you, and, and you basically pray for them. Jesus, by the way, Jesus does tell you, tell you to pray for them. Okay, just so you know. Okay, so this is really hard, right? And we're talking about making decisions now. So all of my decisions must, must be brought under this new rule. What's the new rule? Let me read it to you. I wrote it down. Your decision must be, le- it, may, it might be legal, and it might be moral, and it might be good for you, but if it's bad for others, you need to pump the brakes. It might be legal, it might be moral, it might be good for you, but if it's bad for someone else, you need to stop and think and pray and maybe not do it. In short, essentially what Jesus is saying about our decision-making is think about others when you're making a decision, not just about yourself. Okay, so let me just take a few seconds. Well, it'll be more than a few seconds. Okay. Three final questions I want to ask you, and I just want you to think about this, because, boy, this is such a powerful thing, and I think it's so important for us to hear. Have you recently made a decision that hurts somebody? And you know you've hurt them. It may be something you said, it may be something you did, but you decided they do this and there's fallout. And the second question is, can you fix it? Can you make it right? Can you do what God has been calling you to do? Well, then you got some homework. And then this is... I don't want to sound like the old guy on the hill yelling at the kids, okay? But I think this is what Jesus is saying. What percentage of your life is outward focused or others focused? And what percentage is self focused? I think this is a huge problem in our culture today. I'm talking about America, I can't talk about other countries. But I think we have a real problem today. I think we have a lot of time. I think we have a lot of self-focus. That's where this you do you comes from, this idea comes from. And I think that we have a lot of people who are basically focused on their lives and what's good for them with little or no thought about what others around them are going through. That includes family members, friends, coworkers. And frankly, you don't care. 
I think a lot of our problems come because we are so self-focused and we're so concerned about what is going wrong in our lives or what we're not happy about or what we wish was going on that we're so focused on our own lives and that we're unhappy with our lives. And I think Jesus basically, one of, the, one of the benefits of us looking to others and loving others as we are loved by him is number one, we understand who we are in him, that we're his son, we're his daughter, and we're t- t- tremendously loved. So we look to him and we find our purpose and we find a, a direction and all that. We're gonna talk more about that in the weeks to come. But secondly, that when we start looking at the needs of the others around us, that God, I think, has sovereignly placed around us, that that God is calling us to help meet the needs of those around us. When we start looking at those needs, we begin to take our eyes off ourselves and the next thing you know, it's like, uh, I guess my problems weren't so bad because I see people who are hurting struggling more than me and not as fortunate as I'm. And let me give you an example. So uh, an, I, over the years, I've gone a couple of times to Africa, to, to Mali, West Africa, and I've gone to Haiti uh, four or five times, I think. Um, and I re, you know, every time I go there, um, one of the things that I realize, and, and uh, this, this happened every time I was there, I, I, uh, I was moved in my heart. And, and, and this is what really struck me. It was, I realized that I, when I'm in America, when I'm in my home, when I'm in my community, I don't think about where am I going to find food. I wonder what do I want today for this meal because there's probably three and snacks in between. I wonder uh, what do I want to wear? And uh, I, I have multiple opportunities and you say, well, you could have chosen something better. You're right, probably today I could have. You're pretty picky though. And, and I could have said, uh, oh, you know what? That uh, last night in that warm house and that comfortable bed, um, that was, that was uh, pretty good. Uh, because when I'm standing in Haiti or I'm in West Africa and I'm living in a third world for temporarily and I see people looking for sticks to build a fire to maybe cook something that they don't know what that's going to be for the day sleeping outside or in tin sheds, um, not having clean water. I, if I get hurt or need to go to a doctor, I just call or go to the, you know, get health care, and they don't. And I come back from those moments, and I say, Lord, thank you for blessing me, and if I ever feel that I'm my life is disappointing because I'm not getting what I need or I, my needs aren't met or I, I'm not happy with my, let me remember how you've blessed me and used what I have f- for your good. And, and it changes my whole perspective. I mean, I can't walk back in, in an American culture and feel cheated or slighted or, or, or like, he hasn't done enough for me. I, 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 am, I come back and I think, why did you allow me to be born here under this? And everyone in this room and probably everybody watching, you may not know this, but you are probably in from the 
percent to the 95 percent of the richest people that have ever walked on this planet. And we wake up looking in the mirror, disappointed with our lives, feeling sad and sorry. And I wonder if that's why Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus says, love your neighbor as I have loved you, because when you get your eyes off of yourself and you start helping other people, and you forget about yourself and you see other people and the needs they have and you begin to help other people, you find happiness, purpose, and meaning. And we did the video for the night to shine, and I've had more people from that event say to me, this was one of the best things. I've had people say to me, come up to say to me, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I get where they're coming from because they're, they're helping people who can't help themselves. They're bringing joy to people. And they're part of something that is doing something that's incredibly important to people who can't do. And, and I'm just saying that my, my point is this. We are raising and we are part of a very selfish, self-centered culture. And Jesus is basically saying, that's not who my kids are. They look to others. They look beyond themselves. They serve others. They, they love others. They, they have their eyes cast, not in a mirror, but outside. And they're sensitive to the needs of the people around them. And I just want to say to you parents, help your children see the needs outside of their own lives. Because if they continually focus on their lives and how disappointed they are with their lives, you are going to raise very depressed children. And we're dealing with a lot of not just your depressed children, but with adults. Let me ask you one last question. Did you, this last week, did you think of someone other than yourself and their needs? And what I mean by that is, did you pray for someone other than yourself? Did you ask another person, maybe a coworker, maybe somebody at school, maybe uh, and just honestly stop and say, how are you doing? I care. You don't say I care, but you, you, you ask them, not just in past, hey, how are you doing? No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how are you doing? How can I pray for you? And maybe... Can I do something to help you? Did you do that this week? If you did, how many times? If you didn't, why not? What's, what's going on? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what, what's going wrong here? Because the early church certainly was doing that. They were, they were taking in uh, people who were being abandoned by their babies or abandoned by their family. They were taking in people who had disease and they were dying. They were doing all that stuff. The, the church was characterized by people who were saying, it's not about my needs, it's about the needs of those that I can minister to. We're all ministers. We all are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a minister. 
You've been given gifts and abilities. So I want to ask you, when you make a decision, who are you thinking about? Yourself or others? Because if you're not thinking about others, you're not ready to make that decision. And then a bigger picture, and this is really one to ask yourself, because your life will generally default to selfishness. You have to keep pushing yourself to be others focused. What can you do this week? And maybe the prayer you pray is something like, God, help me to see the needs of those around me because you place them there strategically. And maybe you want me to be the, the answer to prayers or you want to be the answer, your hands or your feet. And, 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 and I, I don't believe, and you pray, God, I want to be aware of the needs of people around me, not just of my own. In other words, stop thinking about yourself and, stop think, and start thinking about others. What would happen if everybody in this room and everybody watching, joining us online, said, look, pray that prayer, and, and throughout the day, they were looking for opportunities to bless, encourage, not just the people that are lovely and nice, but people who are prickly and hard and harsh. And you began praying for those people that have harmed you and hurt you. What would happen if you started saying, I'm going to stop looking at my own life, and I'm going to start looking out to the people around me and seeing the needs. And I guarantee you, when you, if you pray this prayer, a dangerous prayer to pray in the morning, you say, Lord, use me to bless and help people in the ways you want me to today. Help me to be aware of it. Help the Holy Spirit to wake me up and say, okay, wake up, this is it. <laughs> and do something at that moment. What would happen if we did that? Well, I think big things would happen. Not just in our community, but in our lives. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like the one I gave you, but it's bigger. I want you to love others, friends, neighbors, family members, people who are lovely, people who aren't lovely, who are harsh, who are enemies. I want you to love them the same way I love you. That's your assignment. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, this is... Uh, really impossible to do because we need your Holy Spirit and we need to really take a bath in how you love us and just be amazed and in awe of how we are loved by you and overwhelmed by it. And Father, we pray that you would move in each and every one of our hearts, that your spirit would speak to our hearts each individually as to what you would have us to do. Help us to get our eyes off ourselves, Father and on to you, and on to those around us. Thank you for Jesus, who did not get uh, shaken from his mission. He came for us, others, not for himself. He gave his life for enemies, not for friends. He stuck to it for us. And now he asks us to follow his example. Help us to do that this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.